The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. Um, okay, so we have a great show lined up. Our pal David D'Amato's uh, back on the show. We're going to be bringing him in momentarily. Uh, he has a great article out uh, from a, a couple weeks ago at Counterpunch uh, discussing uh, the word terrorism, the definition of the word terrorism and the way that it has been um, bastardized and weaponized um, over the past, really post 9-11. Um, uh, first, let's talk about uh, what we have coming up for you next week. So on Monday, we have our pal Kyle Anderson. Loan. You guys know I love Kyle. Uh, he writes over at antiwar.com as well as the Libertarian Institute. He does great foreign policy journalism. Uh, it's always great when he's on the show. So he will be here on Monday. On Tuesday, I'm very excited. My friend Chicho is going to be here. Um, I don't know if m- many of you know who he is. I'm a weirdo and I like ASMR stuff. I know some people are like totally creeped out by that stuff. I think it's very relaxing for me. I have a severely ADHD brain. Um, so having that kind of stuff playing in the background is really beneficial for me. It helps focus me a little bit, actually. And he does a lot of stuff like that. He talks a lot about politics and things, and he's just a blast. I love him. He's uh, he's fantastic. So he's going to be here on Tuesday. Wednesday, Jason Burmis, back to the show. It's always great when Jason is here. Lots to talk about with him. Thursday, Scott Horton from the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com as well. He's great. Um, hopefully his new book will be coming out very soon, Unprovoked. Uh, it's the story of uh, Ukraine and Russia. Um, and then Friday, my pal Kit Cabello from Hardlands Media will be joining us. So that is a banger of a week, if I do say so myself. I'm very excited. Um, So definitely tune in for that 5 p.m. Eastern right here on TNT Radio. Don't miss a minute. Set an alarm, mark your calendar, whatever you got to do. Okay. So unfortunate news, but very common news, unfortunately. Uh, A couple more journalists have been killed and targeted today in Gaza. Um, We're going to talk most specifically about Wael Daudoud because we spoke about him previously. He is the journalist journalist that we spoke about whose family was targeted. Um, And then after going and identifying the uh, the bodies of his family, he returned to work the very next day, which is... um, I mean, I don't have words for, I don't know. I don't think I could do that. Uh, I don't think that I have that in me. So um, he, uh, he, he and his cameraman, uh, Samir Abudaka were uh, covering a, a Israeli airstrike at a school in Khan Yunus um, and they were targeted. So uh, YL was shoot, uh, shot. Um, he, they, they were able to get him out and he was, he's being treated at a hospital. Um, unfortunately, Samir did not make it out and was then left to bleed on the floor for hours. Um, uh, some reports are saying as, as much as five hours. He has unfortunately died of his injuries. Um, so it is unbelievable to me, not unbelievable, but it's, I, I think what's unbelievable to me, uh, you know, the fact that Israel is targeting and murdering journalists, not surprising. This is something that they've done for a very long time. What is um, somewhat surprising to me is the significant lack of outrage, um, in particular from, I mean, to be fair, there are certain journalist organizations who have spoken out, Committee to Protect Journalists, Reporters Without Borders. Um, There's a couple other ones, uh, but there is a significant lack of outrage from other journalists and other journalist organizations around the globe, especially in Western media. I guess it's not um, fully surprising because they those same people have also been entirely silent um, and not even just silent, but also complicit in the persecution and torture of journalist Julian Assange. So 
Uh, it's just very frustrating to me that their colleagues are very clearly being targeted. Uh, Israel has killed now um, 91 journalists in 10 weeks, 91. And that's not including uh, the mass amounts of their family members who have also been uh, slaughtered in the process of them being targeted. So um, they again, they were covering a uh, airstrike at a school in Khan Yunus. Uh, Israel actually prevented an ambulance from reaching Samir. Um, which is something that they do on a regular basis. Anytime that there are injuries, they will very often. There's been videos um, on social media where you will see them prevent ambulances from reaching the injured. Um, that is what they did again. That's why he was left to bleed on the floor of the school um, for five hours. Um, also, as I mentioned, uh, we covered Dadud uh, before because his wife, son, daughter, and grandson were all killed by Israel just last month. Um, they called an airstrike on his house. Um, and we should also mention, too, that 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 attack that killed his family uh, came, I think, just like days after Antony Blinken relayed a message uh, from Israel to Qatar. Uh, that's where Al Jazeera is based. That's where these two journalists work worked. Um, or work. Uh, and uh, he told them that they need to, quote, tone down unquote, their coverage on Gaza. Uh, and then that is the, uh, a couple days later, I think, is when the uh, uh, the airstrike was called on Wild Adud's uh, house uh, where his family was. So um, another couple of journalists have been killed. Not the only ones. There was another one earlier today um, who was also killed. Uh, so again, his name was Kamis Hussein. Um, so we are now up to 91 journalists over the last 10 weeks who have been murdered by Israel, which is unbelievably unfortunate and devastating and um, criminal. It's a war crime. Um, okay, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guest of the day every day. So you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And if you would like, you can shoot me an email at mistywinston at tntradio.live. If you have a guest idea, show idea, uh, whatever, want to rant about something or just ask a question, feel free to hit me up. I will try to get back to you. And while you're at it, why not give TNT Radio a follow? We are on all the major social media platforms and probably getting shadow banned on many of them, uh, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter, so you can help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, rock legend D. Snyder, who has recently said that online speech that, quote, hurts people psychologically, end quote, is not acceptable, is now throwing a temper tantrum over Elon Musk, allowing Alex Jones back on X saying, quote, this isn't free speech, end quote. Really, my guy? Here at this story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. So listen, Adam, uh, we can't hurt people's feelings. That's not acceptable, according to D. Snyder. Is that what I'm getting? Can I just go ahead and say it? He he's not gonna take it, I guess. I don't, <laughs> well played, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah, he is, of course, the uh, famous for being the lead singer from Twisted Sister, uh, who, of course, sang the song "We're Not Gonna Take It." Uh, and uh, Snyder took his opinion uh, about this whole affair on X platform using, uh, I might point out, his free speech in order to condemn the reactivation of Jones's account. Uh, here's what he had to say, uh, quote, so Musk has let Jones back on the platform and set, sat in on a forum with AJ and a group of other false prophets. This isn't free speech. 
These are awful people knowingly spreading falsehoods with malevolent, malevolent intent. It may be time to leave X and sell my Tesla. Stand by, end quote. How long do I have to stand by? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I think I'll skip standing by, but thank you, Snyder. Uh, Musk allowed Jones, of course, to return to the platform after posting a poll that garnered more than two million votes. Uh, the poll asked, quote, reinstate Alex Jones on this platform, Vox Populi, Vox Day, end quote, Vox Populi, Vox Day. Assuming I'm saying this correct because I don't know Latin very well. It is indeed Latin and the phrase allegedly, supposedly, yeah, it means, quote, the voice of the people is the voice of God, end quote. After 78% of the respondents chose yes, Jones was promptly reinstated, much to the chagrin of Snyder, uh, who has been an active voice in political discor discourse in recent years, often specifically addressing Musk and online speech. In, I'm sorry, even specifically addressing Musk and online speech uh, as recent as October 2023, Snyder claimed in an interview with a New Jersey radio station that Musk doesn't actually understand free speech. Okay. According to Blabbermouth, Snyder claimed, quote, there's this idea, and Elon Musk is a champion of it, that free speech is saying anything you want whenever you want. That is not what they meant when they wrote the First Amendment. You never could say something that could endanger someone's well-being, whether it's physical or mental, with your words. You can't say things to people or posts, think, post things online that could hurt people psychologically, mentally, and physically destroy their lives. That's not free speech, end quote. The hair metal singer also shared his opinion back in May of this year uh, that children have not matured enough mentally to pursue gender transitions. Quote, I was not aware the transgender community expects fealty, fealty and total agreement with all their beliefs and any variation or deviation is considered transphobic, end quote. That's what he wrote. Uh, and he received backlash for his comments. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, see some where other things he sits on. Uh, he expressed support for Ukraine in 2020 in regards to the country using his song as an anthem amid the Russian invasion. Uh, he announced, quote, I absolutely approve of Ukrainians using we're not going to take it as their battle cry. My grandfather was Ukrainian before it was swallowed up by the USSR after WW2. This can't happen to these people again, end quote. So. Uh, yeah, he's got a kind of interesting take or idea about free speech and especially what necessarily constitutes causing harm with one's speech. But what do you think about this one, Misty? Well, I think it's super interesting that he says that you can't say things to people or post things online that could hurt people psychologically, mentally, and physically destroy their lives. Uh, my guy, your comment about the transgender community could, by some people, be considered exactly that exactly what you just described that does not actually count as free speech. So careful what you wish for, my friend. Uh, you just might get it. This, uh, These kinds of people drive me crazy. They are free speech as long as it's free speech I agree with. That is, and there's no consistency whatsoever. And listen, I don't like Alex Jones. I think Alex Jones is controlled opposition. I think he is very much in on the game. He has pretty much admitted that his whole thing is a shtick. It's an act. Um, uh, and he, I think he is very much, uh, him and Elon Musk, they're very much controlled opposition um and so but i it i and i argued at the time alex jones should have never been taken off of twitter he should have never been taken off of social media it was ridiculous that that was something that took place uh that was a very unpopular 
position to take at the time. And boy, did I take heat for it. Uh, but I try very hard, not saying I'm perfect, but I try very hard to be consistent on this principle because I understand that um, the interpretation of what is psychologically damaging or mentally damaging, what constitute hate speech, all of that stuff is very vague and it's very subjective. And so um, those definitions, and we've seen it happen, those definitions are very fluid. They change depending on who you're speaking to and what their agenda is. Uh, and so, it, it, and also, who cares what D. Snyder has to say, right? Who cares? I don't care what you have to say about free speech. I don't care what you have to say, say about uh, Alex Jones or Elon Musk or Twitter. Sell your Tesla, my guy. Nobody cares. He, I mean, this is somebody, and I, I don't even like saying this because just because you aren't popular or relevant doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. Um, but he's not relevant. He's not relevant to this conversation. Nobody really um, has, uh, nobody cares what you have to say about this. Uh, and certainly not when you are attempting to um, uh, uh, manipulate the definition of free speech to suit your own personal fees. Like nobody cares if your feelings get hurt, my friend. I, it's just a reality of the situation. Um, and so, yeah, it's this whole thing. He's a hypocrite. He's an unbelievable hypocrite to say that you know you sh you you uh, uh and he also the idea that he says that there's this idea and elon musk is a champion of it that free speech is saying anything you want whenever you want for elon musk is not a champion of that are you joking that is ridiculous i've had friends just in recent days be suspended from their twitter account for saying something that offended somebody uh he that's not what elon musk stands for he has never stood for that he in fact when he initially uh took twitter when he bought twitter um people called for him to reinstate alex jones and he refused up until this point because of the uh, sandy hook stuff so he is not a free speech champion i really wish people would um, stop pretending that that's the case but d snyder is a hypocrite what, what do you think adam you know what elon musk is misty a successful Rod? businessman. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's almost like he was keeping this move close to his chest. The timing of this cannot be ignored um, because um, look at this. Uh, X was getting quite popular again. He was doing well with the arrival of one Tucker Carlson to the platform, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yep. Well, what did Tucker Carlson just announce he was doing? Hmm? Anyone? Starting his own network. Anyone? Yeah. That's right. That might take away some of the popularity that Elon Musk has been enjoying on his platform recently. I know, here's a great idea. Why not seemingly pretty much exclusively, let's keep some attention over here in this corner and hey, let's unban Alex Jones. Brilliant. I, I promise you this move had nothing to do with free speech. I agree with no. you, Misty. He's by far not necessarily a free speech champion. He is only when it suits his uh, agenda, yes. which uh, right now is building that platform like crazy. Yeah. And that's the problem is there's no consistency. That's it's so frustrating for me because this is kind of my my thing. Um, there's uh, very few people I have found very few people and I hold those people very close um, because it is a very uncommon thing to find somebody who is genuinely consistent and who will genuinely fight for the free speech that they do not like. And in fact, abhor like I there's a lot of people who say a lot of 
really disgusting things that I do not like, but I will fight to the death for their right to say it. I mean, that that's it's important. And but it's just not the case. And D. Snyder is a monumental hypocrite. But really, I mean, not surprising. So I mean, maybe somebody should bring that up to him that uh, throw his transgender community uh, tweets back at him and, and, and say, ask if he thinks he deserves to be uh, banned from Twitter, because very clearly uh, that could be interpreted as psychologically damaging to transgender youth. Lots of people make that argument. So uh, I don't think he will respond to that. I don't think most people don't like their hypocrisy shown to them. Uh, but thanks for bringing us this story, Adam. Appreciate you as always. Have a great week and we will talk to you again on Monday. Everybody hang tight. We're going to be right back with David D'Amato right after this on TNT Radio. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible. I'm dying. I wasn't working. So I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Our guest today is our pal, David D'Amato. David is an attorney and journalist whose work has been featured in places like Forbes, Newsweek, The American Spectator, The Daily Caller, Town Hall, Counterpunch, and many others, as well as at nonpartisan policy organizations such as the American Institute for Economic Research, the Center for Policy Studies, the Institute for Economic Affairs, and more. You can find him over on the tweeters at D-S-D'Amato, D-A-M-A-T-O, as well as on Substack at The Peaceful Revolutionist. David, thanks so much for coming back to the show. It's great to be back with you, Missy. I always have a good time here, and I've got a lot to say today, so it's perfect. Well, yes, uh, it, it's always great when you come on. And you, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you have a fantastic article out over at Counterpunch. Everybody, go check it out. Uh, it is, in fact, linked on my Substack, the write-up that we do for the guests every, every day. There's a link for that specifically, so go check it out. It's from November 24th, um, uh, and it's called "Power and Punishment in the Construct of Terrorism." And I think that this is such, obviously, such a timely conversation. So uh, tell us. What what uh, brought you to write this article? 
Sure. Yeah. I think you're right that, you know, we're in a moment right now where we can kind of feel and see the echoes of the sort of rabid post 9-11 culture that uh, you and I are in the same, roughly the same age cohort. Um, I'm probably older, but um, in any case, we both remember kind of the uh, the atmosphere percolating uh, in the post 9-11 world. And my goal with this piece was basically to you know, challenge or at least interrogate the idea, the concept of the, the the concept of the terrorist itself, or the concept of terrorism, to begin to understand terrorism as we know it, not as a you know a objective empirical observation about the world, uh, which it's not as we use it now, but as a you know. A reflection of the social and psychological reality that we live in. So a concept created by the ruling class or power elite or people in power or however you want to, the political class perhaps, um, specifically to exercise, you know, fear and control over the masses. Yeah. Well, it, it, yes. And this word uh, and the concept in general has very much been, uh, and this happens all the time. We see it with language all the time. They completely co-opt uh, and bastardize words, uh, weaponize them, use them to push forward uh, a certain agenda. And it's no different with uh, terror, terrorism, terrorist, those, that whole, uh, the whole concept really. And that's, I think that we're seeing that play out very much right now, um, you know, as we've been kind of led to believe in the post post 9-11 world that terrorists are brown, Muslim, um, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a very specific intentional othering of, yeah. I, and that, I think you're totally right. And as I said, you know, we're from an era and an age cohort where we, it's very fresh for us still that, um, in the post 9-11 environment, we were sort of taught, uh, as young adults and, you know, as adults to think of the terrorists specifically as a brown skinned other, um, mysterious, maybe scary Muslim, not our religion, not a real, not a real American. Um, and of course, you know, we know that those things aren't grounded in fact, they're not, um, they're not a part of reality. They're, you know, tropes and psychological predicates to the kind of control that, our government and our corporate class has uh, exercised over the population since, you know, uh, well, from in the in for certainly in the past twenty years in the war on terror era, but definitely before that too. I mean, as I've said on the show before, we could go back to Frank Church and the warnings um, about domestic surveillance and um, you know domestic uh, policing back in the seventies. And we, we didn't take those warnings and now we're left with a situation where, um, we're totally propagandized and manipulated by concepts like terrorism that just make no sense and have no grounding in reality. I mean, the the terrorism concept is precisely upside down. If we had any notion of, if Americans had any notion of the violence, uh, perpetrated on the world by our government, versus the people and the groups that they call terrorists who are, you know, whatever they do, whatever, you know, whatever their faults, obviously we all, anybody you and I would uh, associate with, we all condemn killing innocent civilians. We all condemn terror, you know, terrorism in the sense of, um, 
attacking innocence. But if we looked at the empirical reality of who is actually doing those things in the world, that would be the United States and its allies, uh, at least for a very long time. So the 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 concept of terrorism is uh, manipulative and cynical. It is. And that's what's so frustrating about it is that it is now being used, again, It's it's been weaponized by the United States, by the West in general, uh, mm-hmm. to really, uh, uh, hi- they, they hide behind it. Um, as they always do, they point fingers at others for that which they are guilty of. And they're very good at that game. Um, and so mm-hmm. you're right. I, and I've been saying this for a very long time. I often get a lot of pushback, but I think there's really no debating it. The United States of America is the world's largest terrorist organization. Of course. Period. Yeah. No. And this period. is something that people who are familiar with my work know that you know for over 10 years i've been i've been saying the uh the same thing about that and yeah the, clearly the united states is if if terrorism is to have any meaning at all the united states is the world's uh leading terrorist organization and sponsor of terrorism um, of course i mean it, it, it's totally it um totally unmatched i mean uh talking about trillions you know tens you know, trillions of dollars just in the past 20 years on the supposed war on terror um, that resulted in, you know, Brown University's Costs of War project puts the death toll for the war on terror at something like four and a half million. That's got to be conservative. Um, yes. You know, 40 million refugees or displaced people from the war on terrorism. So we we know, we we actually know empirically now, because we are in an information age, for better or worse, we do know that the United States has perpetrated terror on the world. And it's uh, manipulated us with an extremely self-serving definition of, of uh, terrorist or terrorism. Yeah. And one that's very fluid that they can kind of uh, continue to manipulate to suit their agenda. We've seen that taking place. Uh, we can get into that. Uh, we got to take a break and get headlines, but we can get into the fact that, you know, the Patriot Act then manipulated the definition to include domestic terrorism, which we're right. now seeing being weaponized Ever against expanding. people. Yep. Yeah, it is because they, again, it's to push an agenda. It's not really uh, to fight terrorism. It's, uh, you know, to really control dissent for one, at least in terms of the domestic terrorism definition. Uh, But we're seeing that being used against United States citizens, everybody from, you know, environmental activists to January 6th protesters. And so uh, I think that's why this conversation is so crucial, because I don't think a lot of people are mindful of the fact that they are so um, adept at manipulating these terms in order uh, to use them against us. So Let's take a quick break and get headlines. We'll get into that as soon as we get back here on TNT Radio. The news you need when you need it. Oh, you have a deep voice. TNT. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. A recent poll by Morning Consult for Bloomberg News indicates that former President Donald Trump is ahead of President Joe Biden by an average of 5% among registered voters in seven key swing states crucial for the 2024 presidential election. Over 50 poultry farms in British Columbia have been impacted by avian flu since October, though the rate of infection is reportedly decreasing as the fall migration of wild birds concludes. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. 
All right. We are here with David D'Amato. We're talking about his fantastic article over at Counterpunch. Uh, it was published on November 24th. Um, go check it out. It's so good and very timely as we've been discussing. And um, so like I was just mentioning, the definitions of these terms, and this is not just with this particular concept. They do this with many things to suit their agenda, uh, but it's ever evolving, very fluid and often very vague, uh, which is very frustrating. But um, so the FBI, just so knows, the FBI definition of international terrorism is violent criminal acts committed by individuals and or groups who are inspired by or associated with designated foreign terrorist organizations or nations, state-sponsored. Uh, domestic terrorism is violent criminal acts committed by individuals and or groups to further ideological goals stemming from domestic influences, such as those of political, religious, social, racial, or environmental nature. So those are the two um, official FBI uh, definitions of international terrorism and domestic terrorism. Um, but I mean, again, if you just look at the definition of terrorism or, uh, you know, it, it, there is no question that the United States is by far the greatest purveyor of terror around the world. There's just no denying it. Yeah, I think it's clear. And in our legal system, one of the articles that uh, one of the books that I read for this article was uh, a book by a scholar right here in Chicago, actually, uh, named Nicole Wynn, and it's called Terrorism on Trial. And her book is one of the first you know, thoroughgoing surveys of the way that the concept of terrorism was deployed in our legal system. And she's able to show in the book that the concept was um, mostly deployed to ensnare very vulnerable people in, um, in prosecutions where they really took no active steps toward anything like terrorism or any illegal activity. Indeed, it was always the domestic, uh, you know, criminal um, bureaucracy, the FBI and other uh, local police bodies who would attempt attempts to ensnare people in these plots. In fact, she goes into one episode in the book that's uh, pretty interesting where the FBI goes as far as creating a dummy missile and storing it in somebody's apartment so that they could bring this, you know, person online who has no idea, probably a teenager or a college aged mm -hmm. person who's very vulnerable, has no idea what they're doing or, um, and they're online and maybe the FBI is trying to get them to supposedly enjoy, uh, join fake Al Qaeda. Um, and that's hundreds of these prosecutions. In fact, yes. I think there's another story in the book where, you know, she she talks about, uh, Professor Wynn talks about almost, I think it was 450 people who were released in the post-John Walker Lind um, era. And of all of these people, none of them reoffended. They were all charged with terrorism and uh, fake terrorism charges um, where the FBI intentionally tried to target and uh, entrap vulnerable, broke people. Um, this is how the FBI works. Let's just be yes. honest. We all know it. Yes. Um, and this is what they did. They targeted vulnerable people who never had any intention of doing anything that would be called terrorism and were basically lost. The FBI concocted an elaborate plot that was compelling enough to get their fake prosecution and their fake indictment. And um, none of these people ever reoffended. So we know what, you know, these people have a, uh, you know, there is a, a, a superstructure of power that we operate within in the United States. And 
the FBI and the State Department and the Pentagon, um, they don't, you know, they don't even necessarily know that they're serving the this interest, but that's in practice what we see. And so when we have uh, terms like terrorism that they're, they're like, you know, to talk about the parallel between, we talk about a rules-based international order, right? We talk mm-hmm. about a, a international order of, um, you know, humanitarian law and international law. In reality, we have a system where the United States makes the rules and everybody else just follows. Yes. Similarly with terrorism, we have a situation where, you know, we have people indicted for terrorism, targeted as terrorists, while the world's foremost terrorist organization is the one making the rules. So it's um, it's hard to watch for sure. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And I think a really uh, a recent relevant case is the uh, so-called kidnapping plot against uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, as mm-hmm. the details unfolded from that, it turns out that there were more federal agents involved in that situation than there of were course, actual right. bad guys. They planned you know the whole I mean? kidnapping. Yeah, they sure did. And <laughs> yeah, that that's right. the case. And how many times have we seen a mass shooting or a school shooting or um, a bomb plot or whatever? And it turns out that they were the, the person who did it was known to the authorities. It's weird, right? It's weird how that always turns out. But yes, um, and it's it, so watching, um, you know, as you said, it, not only does the United States make the rules, but the rules don't apply to us. Right. Um, we can make the rules for other people, but we just do whatever we want. And there is no accountability. And there's really nobody who is even capable of holding us to account no because capable. we are. And that's what uh, will no. change, I think. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're seeing that shift take place right now. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. There's no question about that. But yeah, that's, um, you know, we see these situations, the Whitmer thing. Um, January 6th, I think, is a great example. As we saw, y'all listen, and I know I've talked about this many times on this show, but I'm going to keep saying it because Ray Epps, I know he hasn't been charged with anything. That should be a huge red flag. That guy is a fed. I'm going to say it. Um, allegedly, don't come for me, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll say allegedly just to cover my ass, but he is a fed. I have been to so many protests, and that is the most fed stuff I have ever right. seen in my life life. Right. I mean, the guys you out there recognize it very quickly when you start yes. to be around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean he's you're... literally leading the charge, pushing people up to the little gates that they had like, go, go. You know what I mean? That he, he didn't walk inside the Capitol, but he was real quick to try to encourage other people to do it. And that's, uh, and I feel bad because MAGA got totally set up. Y'all got so set up. Um, I know many people who went there. Uh, I had friends on the ground who were covering it as journalists. And many people, I mean, like we saw, there was a lot of like grandmas, uh, you know, like your auntie was out there, you know, gen- like genuinely protesting her government uh, because she felt like her vote had been stolen from her in the election had been stolen and right. they were genuinely thinking. And y'all got set up. That was such an obvious psyop. Um, and uh, that is being used now um, uh, as a way to deter people from ever protesting an election again. And there's a reason for that. There's, I mean, all mm-hmm. of this stuff is with intent. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's it's very frustrating to watch these types of things. And I mean, just to tie it in with Julian Assange, because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah they I'm also, working on a piece about Assange right now. So I'm all well, they, for it. They also do the same thing with journalism. They get to define what is a journalist. And we should mention too, that uh, multiple people in government, uh, including Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have called Julian Assange a quote unquote high tech terrorist. So it's right. even being used against journalists in order to, uh, 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 you know, silence dissent and persecute those who would dare to expose the reality of everything empire and well, i mean right. that's why I mean, go ahead yeah I'm i mean well, that's no no i i'm 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 here for it for sure but like <laughs> you're totally right when in the context of 
Julian Assange, he's being charged with a, a espionage law that's over a mm-hmm. hundred years old, that's been damned by every court, that's been totally dragged through the mud as a product of a hundred years ago in the World War One era. Um, nobody takes this law seriously. Nobody should. Everybody right. who's been, you know, Eugene Debs was prosecuted under this espionage law. And this is a great hero for people like me and, uh, and Misty um, and every other, you know, American who loves freedom and equality and the things that we're supposed to give a damn about. But, yeah. you know, Julian has been, has been charged under an espionage law that um, nobody takes seriously. And um, it's just because the United States cannot stand to see journalism, real journalism made legal in the world. I mean, I forget yeah. there's somebody who wrote a book called, um, you know, caretakers or critics and it's i forget i think the name uh the man's name was um russell mccutcheon and he was writing about um the relationship that we should have with with religious studies where like when we study them we should be critics right like we shouldn't Mm -hmm. be caretakers um or stewards and just kind of repeating their mantras and i think similarly like you know julian come julian assange comes from the place of journalism should be critical of the most powerful organizations and the governments whole point. in the world. That would be the whole point you'd think. Yeah. And that is clearly has been made, um, made illegal by the most powerful empire in the world today. And, you know, and we both grew, you know, we both grew up here. So I think we do have, um, we have to say at some point, should you, you know, you have to, you have to walk the walk at some point. Yeah. And it, Julian actually has said, I just looked it up cause I didn't want to butcher it, but he has said, if journalism is good, it is controversial by its nature. Um, right. And he also speaks very much about how it's supposed to be adversarial. It is right. you, the job of journalists is to expose power, hold power to account, make sure that there is, that there's full transparency. And that's the, right. in, but journalism has gotten so lost. Really it's not been lost. It's been corrupted and co-opted. Um, but that's that they don't want that. They uh, powerful people don't like their secrets exposed. That's why they're going so hard for Julian Assange. And that's why um, they're trying to use terms like terrorists to define him because uh, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that sends a message to other journalists around the world. And and I mean, uh, almost certainly the, the, the treatment that he has received has created an unbelievable chilling effect. There's just really that no should, doubt about that. I, completely. That should be a clue to people though. It's like, yes. if you're branded as a spy or a yeah. terrorist, then that should be a clue to people in the general public that they don't actually have like a very good idea about why we should not listen to that and why we should not care about those facts being exposed. They're just trying to scare you into thinking that this is some scary person who's doing that something bad. weird. Yeah. And they've done yeah, a very good job of weird. creating like this comic book villain out of Julian Assange. And that's been very right. intentional. So listen, we got to take a quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be back here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. In a shocking development that surprised no one, Hunter Biden failed to show up for his congressional deposition today. Moreover, California Representative Eric Swalliswell aided and abetted Hunter thumbing his nose at the Congress by working with Hunter's attorney so Hunter could avoid testifying. Will Hunter be held in contempt of Congress? Well, if so, so what? So was Eric Holder, nothing was done. But you see, when Democrats are in charge, and 
they hold somebody in contempt of Congress. Well, their door gets busted down. They get taken out at 5 a.m. with CNN there to broadcast the whole proceedings. The way Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, and Alex Jones were treated. Will Hunter be treated the same way? <laughs> you funny man. Of course he won't. But if there's any justice in the world, Santa won't be bringing Hunter another laptop this Christmas. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. You are loved. You are valued. You are resilient. You got this. You are there for them. We are here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash caregiving. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here with David Zamato. We're talking about his article that he wrote recently uh, at the end of November over at Counterpunch uh, discussing uh, the concept of terrorism and what that actually means in today's world uh, and the way that it's been, uh, you know, kind of weaponized and used against us uh, in various different ways. But also, I wanted to kind of tie this into the Israel-Palestine situation. Obviously, that is something that's very uh, important to both of us. Um, And I think that a great example just to kind of, uh, you know, like weasel our way into making that connection is uh, the way, for example, I'm going to use Piers Morgan. I can't stand the guy, but um, he, the idea that he he just recently hosted a quote unquote debate, which there really is no debate. Um, but Norman Finkelstein and Alan Dershowitz, which is hilarious to me that that guy mm-hmm. is welcome anywhere. Uh, right. But there you yeah. have it. Um, but Piers currency. Morgan. Ho- yeah, he hosted this debate about whether or not what Israel has been doing since October 7th counts as terrorism. And that just shows to me, well, it, I, I, I said so that it, it shows crazy. to me that he doesn't understand. I think he understands. I think he's paid to not understand. But very clearly, you don't it's get it because, tell. yeah, I know. But Israel has been committing terrorism every single day for decades, my guy. Decades. Of not course. just since October 7th. For decades. It's crazy. Yeah. No, no, of course. I mean, I saw the uh, the great journalist Bill Arkin say in Newsweek yeah. just a day or two ago that I think yeah. we're talking about 25,000 civilians. Again, that's got to be conservative. 25,000 innocent people, innocent civilians. I don't know how many children. I'm sure you do. It's got to be in the range of 10 to 15,000. over 10,000 now. The numbers- It's over 10,000. Yeah, it's very so, hard right, to there's get- There's some wiggle room in there. Numbers, it's in that range. Yeah. 10 to yeah. 15,000, I'd say. And this is an abomination. This is- um. This is totally unacceptable for the global community. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to posture or flex. This just is one of those situations that everybody of common sense should see as totally unacceptable. And, yeah. you know, our media, to your point that it's not, it's not new, our media has totally obliterated the story of, uh, of Israel's founding in the, the catastrophe Nakba yeah, of the, Nakba, the, the yeah. yeah of the of forty eight or forty seven or whatever it was, um, when when Israel uh, completely, you know, attempted to do what they're trying to again do now, what they've been trying to do to your point for you know a hundred years of wipe this map clean of Palestinians, and you know it's just I guess. You know, I was listening to John Mearsheimer the other day on on Lex Friedman. And so suppose that you 
felt like it was um, a great idea to have a state of Israel and a, a home for the uh, the Jewish people. Suppose you felt that way. It's just this would be the exact opposite way to to do that. And yeah. um, the, you know, we know from our experience in the United States with um, again terrorism. We know that you cannot um, confront terrorism or defeat terrorism by being a big terrorist. That's just right? not the way um it's not the way human beings work. It's not the way social relationships work. We, you know, we we get it back and we we're in a cycle. Israel and Palestine are in a cycle and Israel is you know, affecting an ethnic cleansing campaign and an attempted genocide right now in front of our eyes. And we have um a political class who can't seem to be honest about that because of the interests that they're uh, they're aligned with, and you know it's similar to when we talk about Ukraine. They they're in a they cannot be honest because they're psychologically uh, totally linked to this idea that the United States and its allies need to dominate every corner of the world, and. Yeah. Um, and we see that same mentality of colonialism and empire, obviously, in in Israel's dealings with the Palestinian people. It's yep. just um, it's brutal to me for not even from a political pr- perspective, from just like a person perspective. It's uh, right totally as a human being. It is a, as a human being watching this play, I don't, and you're absolutely right. And that's what's so straight bizarre to me that anybody could support the Zionist effort because it is, in my opinion, if you are Jewish, I wouldn't want that to be my representation. Why would you want, like, that is not the way you don't just stroll into somebody else's land and violently um, remove them from their homes, murder them, you know, push them out of their homes, put them into a concentration camp, brutalize them for decades. That's not, and then everybody keeps saying, well, we, they have to destroy Hamas. That's not how you destroy Hamas. That's how make sure. No. That's how you make sure that Hamas continues forever. You that's are just creating right. more Hamas. I, <laughs> no, it's mean? true. I mean, even, even Elon Musk, who's obviously like not a person we would associate with being um, pro-Palestinian or pro uh you know, anti-war, pro, pro-social justice, anything. Um, he even made this point that you cannot possibly hope to defeat Hamas. You can only gr- grow it by perpetrating yes. a mass civilian slaughter. Um, a mass slaughter, ten, tens of thousands of civilians. I, I was, you know, you just hope that you don't have to look something like this um, in the face. And in people in the West and the U.S. in particular have absolutely no idea what it would be like to uh to see this in person and have it be their kids and their grandkids um and i don't either but i at least you know at least we'll call a spade a spade and you know it's um it's brutal it is and it's there's a lot of hand wringing over whether or not genocide is the proper term it's the proper term to use it absolutely is this is in this case given the history and the context it's obviously the proper term to use i mean the the zionists have never made a as we've as we've discussed if you look at their own words they've never been never been shy about saying no No. they've always said we hope to you know wipe palestinians from this land and make it our own and they've continued to the the theory and the practice are at one in this case i mean we have increasing over the past several decades 
more and more settlements. And obviously we see it in the West Bank, um, the violence, but even before October, violence in the West Bank was at a, at a you know, over decade long high. Um, they continue to push and settle and, and uh, destroy mosques, destroy homes, murder people, mm-hmm. murder women, murder children. Um, they're not embarrassed at all. And they, they haven't needed to be because they are, um, fortunately for Israel, that government is aligned with, you know, the world's most powerful, powerful government. And well, accepts- we are using Israel as, I mean, Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Jr. straight up said it, it's a military base for us in the Middle East. That's what it is. Joe Biden said, if Israel didn't exist, we would have to invent it. It is, it has nothing to do with religion or no. humanity or ne- or and religion. it never is. This is about power. It's yeah. about resources, it's about geopolitical power advantages and, and strategy. And, reality. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, 100%. this is where we get into, you know, um, People will accuse both of us of of uh, being, being Marxist at this point, and it, oh, well, okay. that too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hear but, that all the you know, time. No, and it, you know, to the anti-Semitic point, it's just what you said. If you, you know, to anybody who cares about Jewish people around the world, Israel is putting everybody um, in a, in dire straits: Jewish yes. people, Americans, Israelis. To me, there's nothing more anti-Jewish than Zionism. Of of course. That's, no, that's and like, the way I see it. And it, last time I was here, I think we talked about how the most of the Zionists were, um, were explicitly atheists or very yeah. much, you know, not religious. And, you know, Orthodox Jews are often the, the some of the people in the community who are the most critical of the state of Israel because yes. um, they have a different perspective on what their religion, you know, logically entails or means as a practical matter. And so, you know, uh, that it's just it's very tough to watch how the united states media approaches this this issue and and um it yeah definitely makes you want to bring the facts to the front because they're hard to ignore it's just you have a nuclear superpower aligned with the most powerful country in the world trying to wipe an indigenous population of people in an open air prison off the map and so it's like it's you know, the facts are just absolutely wild, totally yeah. disparate um, to the disparity between the sides. You know, yes, that's what another thing, another word that they're using is people keep saying it's a conflict or a war. War implies that yeah, it's, it's two relatively equal sides. It's not a war. It is. I no, mean, this it, couldn't be a war. I mean, it's you know, like Ukraine, Russia, that, that's a like a war of- like. It's yes. a bunch of men lining up in like the opposite sides of trenches. Whatever yeah. you think about it, it's a war. Like not a yes. lot of civilians compared to um Palestine have have died. It's soldiers um and they shouldn't be there either as we've discussed no. and you know innocent people have died, but it's men it's men fighting each other in a trench war and yeah. um you know, that's not what we're seeing. And well, with Israel, it's literally a nuclear power versus a bunch of guys with homemade rockets and grenades. It's not the same thing. You know what I mean? I mean, that doesn't I don't mean to diminish Hamas is holding its own. I mean, uh, let's just be fair. If if like a man to man fighting, they're doing pretty well, uh, at least. Oh, yeah. If our our media reported Israel just bombs them. Yeah. It's a monumental failure for Israel in every single way. It's a monumental failure. It's a failure from the perspective of, as we've been talking about, every country in the globe, in the East and in the global South is uh, totally clear about um, 
what's going on here. It's yeah. uh, they're familiar with apartheid. They're familiar with ethnic cleansing and genocide yes. in the global south and in the eastern hemisphere. Uh, it's only people in the West that are able to harbor these delusions about what's happening because we haven't seen anything. They, these people understand exactly what the rest of the world, besides the United States and its allies, ever diminishing power in the world, uh, totally understand what's what's happening. And it's, Well, and the um, West has been so thoroughly propagandized. I mean, uh, because we have such a vested interest in Israel and its uh, existence, that our media has been completely misinforming people for decades about the reality of the situation. That's why you see so many people, um, you know, regurgitating completely debunked uh, things about this situation and the history and the context and all of that stuff. And it's it's very frustrating because I, it's almost as if it's almost, um, I mean, I, and I agree with you. I think Israel is losing the PR war, we're seeing that for sure with the millions of people all around the globe who are in the streets uh, in support of Palestine. You don't see many pro-Israel rallies. And when you do, you find out that they had to pay people 250 bucks to go. Um, so right. I think that they're definitely losing the PR war. But I do think that in the West, it's just that so many people have been so propagandized for so long about the situation. Now, the veil has been lifted, and I give a lot of credit to that, to A, the journalists on the ground in Gaza who, despite being targeted, very Risking clearly being lives. targeted- Yes, they are still down on the ground. They are still, they refuse to leave. They're covering the situation. And I just don't, I have, I, I there's not words to express the amount of um, admiration I have for them. Um, but also I, mean, I think social media, would, I mean, now in real time, David, they can debunk this stuff and it's just the exactly. veil has been lifted. Yeah, no. And that would be my challenge to, you know, American folks who are listening to whatever they're listening to about, um, Israel's relative merit to try to destroy an entire people. You know, think about the journalists in Gaza right now who are risking having limbs blown off to tell the truth about this conflict. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it, you have to really understand that this is two sides, you know, totally, totally uh, no parity between them. No parity in power or influence. And um, and we have one side, Hamas, that's labeled terrorists. And we have Israel, who's, you know, prosecuted decades of war and decades of, you know, torture against Palestinian people in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And they're... Um, they're aligned with, you know, they're the, supposedly the only democracy in the Middle East. They're aligned <laughs> with the United States. It's just, um, you couldn't make it up if you tried. So yes. Yeah. But really I do think that the veil at. has been lifted. I think a lot of people are now seeing it much more clearly, and um, which I think is good. Now, do is that going to be enough to save Palestine? I sure hope so. I don't know. Um, it seems very, uh, obviously, very desperate right now. Um, I really hope it is enough to save Palestine. But I do think that at the very least, uh, people are now recognizing uh, the truth about what's happening uh, in Palestine and the situation um, as it as it really is, and not the lies that they've been sold for decades and decades. So, um, okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time, uh, David. Tell everybody where they can find you, follow you, find your work, all that stuff. Sure. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at dsdomato, and I have a Substack uh, at dsdomato.substack.com. Uh, I, I write regularly for Counterpunch Magazine. Um, you know, I'm a contributor at The Hill. Uh, so, 
look forward to seeing you out there. Definitely shoot me emails and messages. Happy to hear yeah. from everybody. And when you finish your Assange piece, let me know. You know I would love Will to do. talk about it. So uh, for sure. uh, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you as always. It's always great uh, to have you here. Um, I Likewise. love our conversations. Um, all right, y'all. I'll be back next week with a whole new host of shows. Everybody have a great weekend. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and do not go anywhere. Timothy Shea's right after this here on TNT Radio.